Well, Dr. Sonia, what'd you think of that episode we just did? Yeah, mind blasting, as always. Like Dr. Jerry Cortola, like every time we see him on stage or we listen to him, there's always something new that we get from him. Yeah, this there's a fire lit under this man. He's just got a, such incredible passion to teach the world uh, just the the massive importance of understanding this mouth body connection, and and he dropped some serious gems in in this episode that we haven't yet heard. To your point, right? So uh, we we really recommend you guys tune into this one if you have any questions regarding mouth health, oral health toothpaste the structure of your jaw the shape of your the shape of your mouth um whitening teeth naturally what else do we talk about i don't you know there, there was so much that i can't even remember now because my mind is still trying to like recognize or process. understand or process the information and yeah it was just so good so please listen till the end because i do feel like near the second half you really threw out some gems that we need to be more aware of especially like nick said when it comes to the structure and just what we can do to shift the conversation around oral health and what we can do preventatively and also what the solution is if we have been using fluoride or if we had amalgams or if we had root canals, all these things that you know are done in the dentistry world, you just really bust some of the myths around it. Yeah, yeah, stay to the end. Enjoy the ride. It's it's a wild one and, and Jerry's just so fun to listen to. So we hope you enjoy and we'll see you on on the episode. Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with my lovely wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen, who we usually actually record together uh, at home uh, on Mondays, but we had to capture this gentleman that we're about to speak to. He's a lovely, beautiful man. Uh, his name is Dr. Jerry Caratola, and I'm going to do a little introduction on, on him, but he's so busy helping people that this is the only time we could squeeze in, and so we're, we're, we're here in different locations, but um, we're so honored to, to be able to speak to Jerry. So Dr. Jerry Caratola is a dentist. He's an associate professor at the New York University, author, humanitarian, best known for his contributions in cosmetic den dentistry and whole body wellness. He's a frequent dental expert contributor to Fox News, to AOL Health, the Dr. Oz Show, Martha Stewart. I mean, this guy's been all over the place educating the masses. It's, it's such an honor to be able to speak with you. He's written books, and one of, one of them he's going to present in the Mouth Body Connection. And he's also uses, or he's he's been the the producer, the founder, the discoverer of our favorite toothpaste, Revitin, which is the true way to to treat uh, or be preventative for gum disease, to actually uh, populate the oral microbiome in the most effective way. So, uh, so much to go uh, on this show, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick and Sonia. It's a pleasure to be with you. And, I, I, and I've never been called a beautiful man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You, you radiate beauty, my so friend. I really, uh, yeah. really kind of lift me up today. You know? yeah, yeah. Very vibrant. You, you, meanwhile, you guys are like the movie star family. You know, <laughs> doctors, Nick and Sonia, you guys are really amazing. I, from the first time we met, which uh, 
was a really great, great time. And Sonia showed me her molar. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was barely like we got our introductions in and she was yeah. already like, hey, I, I got to go sit with that guy <laughs> and ask him what I should do here. Tell me about this. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. This. yeah. 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 Well, I remember the first time we heard you speak, like our minds were literally blown. And yeah. I mean, we always knew that there was a deep connection between the mouth and the rest of the body. And, yeah. but the way you piece that together for us, it really changed our practice. Like we were able to yeah, see things and such a different way so we have so much to thank you for mm-hmm. oh you're, you're very welcome and i appreciate those kind of remarks no i mean dentistry is one of these healthcare professions that was divorced from medicine 150 years ago they put a wall up between medicine and dentistry and they said oh you guys you could study everything above here and below here and if you want to study here you go to this place called dental school and, uh, and we'll teach you how to, you know, be mechanics of teeth. So a lot of dentists, unfortunately, become very focused on just that, the mechanical aspect, the, the artistic aspect. And don't get me wrong, you know, you did mention, you know, I, I pioneered a lot of advances in cosmetic dentistry. I, I was a neuroscience major in college and I was an art minor. So I was doing sculpture and I always loved working with my hands. And so dentistry was a great profession that merged art and science together. But unfortunately, they were missing this, you know, and this is really um, so, so important. So biologic dentistry has its roots from Germany. I was I was working a lot with a Dr. Thomas Rao, who was a renowned biologic medical doctor. And the first thing he would do if someone, God forbid, had breast cancer or autoimmune disease or prostate cancer, the first thing he would do is what's going on in the mouth. Hmm. You know, are there root canals? Are there jaw cavitations, which we'll talk about? Are there heavy metals? Um, Is there uh, any skeletal issues in the mouth like TMJ and malocclusion that are chronic sources of inflammation. And that's the big, big word, inflammation. And hidden sources of inflammation is like a, uh, it's like a smoldering fire uh, that's not being put out until it ravages and like can undermine the floorboards of an entire building. It does the same thing in the human body. Inflammation is that, uh, smoldering fire that people need to be aware of and that you guys see all the time. So that's why I always love um, working with naturopathic physicians. I have a naturopathic physician at my office in East Hampton. We are perfect partners uh, for the health and well-being of each and every patient because naturopaths help me identify um where the inflammation is greater, what the root causes. They really, naturopathic medicine um, was so right on in so many ways, not only about root cause of disease, but naturopaths are also, you know, they were, um, I remember listening to a naturopathic doctor years ago talk about that it's, you know, when I was talking about the oral microbiome and how it's not like when you have gum disease, it's not like a bacteria flies in your mouth and causes gum disease. It is an imbalance in this natural ecology called the oral microbiome. So that six to 10 billion bacteria live in this community and this community keeps you alive. 
They're not, it's not like Listerine, kill them, and Colgate, totally triclosan, kill it, kill it, kill it. We've been at war with the bacteria in and on our bodies, which has been an even bigger disaster, leading to a lot of the issues that you guys treat every day. So for me, the naturopaths had it right all along. They said it's not about the seed of bacteria causing this infection. It is about the soil, the terrain, understanding the terrain. And that is a very holistic naturopathic concept. So thank you both. You're welcome. It started, it started <laughs> yeah, you're very here. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, well, Sonia. I don't know you want to lead in with some questions. Uh, yeah. So I think that's a good start of yeah. can you connect those pieces to for us with the terrain yeah. of the mouth and how you've seen other conditions show up. So whether it be something in somebody's reproductive system or heart disease or other factors that you know when they're looking downstream, they're just looking at the symptoms and trying to see like, okay, is it my adrenals? Is it my liver? Because even from a naturopathic perspective, we can get stuck there and then really when we look upstream and we start looking in the mouth so how, what connections have you made like if you have a root canal does this happen if you have mercury does this happen are there certain connections that you've made with um yeah with those things? That, that's a great question sonia and um and and the answer to that is um depending on the type of toxicity or the level of inflammation um that really does connect like for example you mentioned mercury Mm -hmm. big dirty secret in dentistry is that you know we've been using mercury fillings since the civil war when it was introduced called amalgam and dentists routinely call it um, a silver filling because it's silver colored that's actually a fraudulent misrepresentation because it's 52 percent mercury wow. amalgam is 52 percent mercury 26 percent silver what is the effect of mercury on the human body? It's one of the most neurotoxic elements on earth linked to everything. And by the way, the symptoms of mercury toxicity and the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease are almost identical. Wow. Uh, when I was in dental school, I was told that the mercury is magically, this is true, magically locked into the filling. Like once you put the mercury together, with the silver and the other alloys, copper and tin and everything, it makes this putty ball that hardens. And it's called an amalgam. It's an amalgamation of these metals. And, uh, and wow, it stays in the mouth. By the way, amalgam was introduced in the late 1800s. Prior to that, dentists were putting lead in teeth. So, wow. <laughs> so wow. they pot to the frying pan. Mm. <laughs> so, so I, I love really, kind of like the, the history of it, just like the history of toothpaste, yeah. which we'll talk about, is hysterical. The his, history of oral care products, from crushed mice skulls to uh, charcoals that they were using, and, and the Romans used charcoal and all this, which is highly abrasive and is a big fan right now. And we'll talk about that. But getting back to mercury, it's really interesting. Uh, mercury will continue to off gas. It is not magically locked in, so it off gases. Most of us, uh, at least 86% of us, some estimates, are able to chelate metals out of the body up to a certain point. When you have a certain bio load, you're going to have bioaccumulation of these metal metals because we can't methylate, chelate, get them out fast enough. But there are 14% of or 16% of the population 
that has a genetic variation in the ApoE4 gene, which you may be familiar with, APOE4. So I always like to see if people have that genetic variation. These are the people who get really sick because they can't chelate. So they don't eliminate, just like the MTHFR gene, another really significant genetic variation. Uh, these people have pro-inflammatory genotypes. So they're set up for failure. Uh, these are the people that you take amalgams, at, uh, you, you put amalgams in and then you take them out and then you change them. There's a huge, unsafely, that's another thing, uh, taking an amalgam out releases a tremendous amount of mercury, just as bad as when you first put it in. And then there's a certain amount that off-gasses over time. I was on the Dr. Oz show years ago and he did three segments on toxic fillings. Hmm. The American Dental Association Association actually sent a newsletter to dentists telling them if their patients watch the Dr. Oz show and you have amalgams in your mouth, show them to your patients so you can make them feel comfortable. The American Dental Association, uh, in my opinion, was behaving like the American tobacco companies did in the 1970s, which was um, they're worried about class action lawsuits. The American Dental Association was founded by pro-amalgam dentists in the late 1800s, very interesting history. There was something called the Amalgam Wars. They were pro-mercury and anti-mercury. And there were dentists saying, no, we went from lead, now we're going to mercury. And then there were dentists who said, no, this stuff is good. We can." Here's the thing about amalgam, because 46% of dentists in North America still place amalgams, 46%. Why? And then children. They're cheap, they're easy to do, they stay in your head for years and years and years. So it's like the insurance company doesn't have to pay for a new filling because you got this amalgam that will stay in till you're like 90 years old if you live that long. And uh, I always find that perplexing. And I've actually had discussions. I'm on a Dean's Advisory Council at New York University. I, uh, I have had discussions with the head of restorative dentistry. I'm proud to say we got NYU to be the first dental school in the country to pull amalgam off the floor. But the ADA still had them keep it. So taking it and preventing dentists from, or telling dentists there are better materials to put in teeth is the first step. But equally important, and this is really important for everyone listening to this podcast, to know that you need to have dental mercury removed safely. So there are more and more dentists who are doing safe removal. Actually, uh, there's a protocol called SMART under the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology that, uh, and SMART stands for Safe Mercury Amalgam Removal Technique. So every dentist wants to be smart. It's a good moniker because who, I don't want to be stupid. <laughs> I'm a smart dentist. <laughs> I do safe mercury amalgam removal technique. So very, very important. There are still dentists uh, removing it unsafely. Uh, unsafely is without a rubber dam, without an, uh, a separate air supply, um, without helping give patients the kind of support they need. We use activated charcoal and selenium. We actually are using a protocol, and I love to work with, with you guys. If a patient needs their amalgams out, the first thing I want them to do is to be with you on a two-week protocol prior to the removal. So they should be seeing you both prior to the removal of these amalgams and then 
for two to three weeks after using uh, the, the nutritional products that you would prescribe to help them clean up, open up downstream pathways to eliminate and to help pump out any amalgam out of their cells. When all of the amalgam is removed, they can go dive deeper. And, and the key with mercury removal from the body, in my experience, has been slow and steady, not the quick, you know, it's, it's the tortoise rather than the hare. Uh, because if you take it out too quickly, you can actually redistribute mercury and that could just push the toxicity somewhere else. So I always tell patients getting mercury out of the body is like peeling layers of an onion. Interesting uh, side fact here about my own personal experience is that I had not, I vowed not to place an amalgam from when I came out of dental school and I didn't. I can honestly say wow. in the 38 years since I graduated, 37, I graduated in 1983, it's gonna be 38 in next month, 38 years. I was 10 years old when I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You called me a beautiful man. They let, any, yeah. they let anyone okay. in, right? Yeah. I'm okay being 63. <laughs> so oh, that's awesome. I think um, when I, I, I really knew, I knew the stuff was bad. I didn't believe the BS about the mercury being, I didn't even want to be near mercury because mercury, you know, there were dentists who used to touch it with their fingers and roll it into a ball and stick it in the tooth with their thumb. Jeez. In the old days, they would, and it was absolutely bizarre. But the one thing I did do for the first 10 years of practice, prior to really putting on a full biologic, uh, you know, cap, suit. Yeah. you know, the hazmat, right. The first thing I didn't do was I didn't use, yes, I didn't protect myself. And I didn't protect my patients adequately in the removal of dental mercury and my staff, by the way. I want to tell every any dentist or any patient listening to this, if they if they know a dentist that is not removing mercury safely, they can call OSHA, who would measure mercury levels in the office, and they would be shut. Wow. So that should be enough of an impetus for the protection. OSHA is Occupational Safety, you know, Health uh, Administration, Safety and Health Administration. So it's really to protect your employees. You need to protect your employees. And that's one of the angles that we're using to get the FDA to ban it. So the FDA in the States has banned uh, dental amalgam for pregnant women and children, which was absolutely abominable to think. Children with a developing nervous system getting amalgams for pregnant women when they're pregnant. Um, so th my experience was after 10 years of doing that, I started getting brain fog, irritability. I'd walk in a room and forget why I walked in there. I couldn't remember telephone numbers. Somebody would say 324-6557. And I go, 32457. And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, first I thought I was just working too hard and I'm not, you know, I wasn't getting enough rest or whatever. And then this happened. I woke up one morning and I had a tremor wow. and that scared the heck out of me. I, I was like, Oh, I must have a brain tumor. And who did I go to? I went to a naturopathic physician who was a patient. And I told her the story and she's, she said, Jerry, you know, this sounds like mercury toxicity. And I said, Oh, you know, Joanna, I've been, I never put an amalgam in, you know? And she said, but you take them out a lot, don't you? And I was like, 
yeah, I'm putting these beautiful ceramic restorations and I wasn't taking them out safely. So that was wow. 10 to 12 years into my practice of many years ago. And I, and I'll tell you the truth. I did two years of chelation. I worked with her. She used homeopathics. She used naturopathic. She used herbal ingredients and she was terrific. And I do credit her with cleaning me up. And it was, it was like layers. And I was like, shouldn't I be getting an IV or EDTA? And, blah, 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 blah. and she's like, that's, that's like hitting it with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like putting a match out with a fire hose. She said, you have to be gentle. So, and that's why I became a very, very um, strong believer in naturopathic medicine. After that event, by the way, I had already, I was, holistically minded. So I had done a master's program in holistic nutrition and I was very into nutrition and homeopathics. Uh, I did a, uh, a, a course on holistic health in 1983 where I learned about homeopathy and naturopathy and, and, uh, and Chinese medicine and acupuncture and Ayurveda and all these different alternative systems of medicine that had so much value and all of them went far beyond the orientation that I had in the Western educational system of looking at more than just the biologic level and understanding that there are multiple levels of healing and that mind-body-spirit thing was just really, really important. Um, So I think mercury needs to be eliminated from the body. Naturopaths are great to do it. And it needs to be done in a systematic way where it is slow and steady. By the way, the tremor went away in about two or three, two weeks. That went away oh. first. The brain fog cleared up after that. Um, I was healthier. My gut was healthier too, by the way. Mercury mm-hmm. really messes up the gut. So that was my experience with that. Um, is it, I'm is all it- yours. Yeah. Is there any truth to, I mean, we, patients get this feedback from their dentists quite often. You know what? The, that amalgam has been in there for 20 years. Don't worry about it. It's totally fine. It's all the mercury that was there is leached out. Your body got rid of it magically, just like it was magically put together <laughs> and safely put in there. But is there, what, what's the, what's the recommendation there for people who have had it in for many years? Okay. So here is the, uh, I love when you said, oh, all the mercury's come out already. Like they say, all the mercury. If all the mercury came out already, the filling would be half empty in the tooth, you know? <laughs> it's 52% mercury. Yeah. And it is continuing to off-gas. And some of them off-gas faster than others. So how do they off-gas more? People who grind their teeth. Uh, people who, you know, hot liquids cause the off-gassing. Uh, clenching. Uh, the number of surfaces of the tooth that are filled. So you see these little speck amalgams, they're called uh, occlusal pits. And the, and the dentist w- would stick an amalgam in these occlusal pits. They look like potholes of, of white on the dental x-rays. But generally, you know, more than six surfaces, that's a significant amount of mercury uh, that's, that's coming out. More than eight surfaces, even the American Dental Association says you should consider removing them over eight surfaces. Um, and... Uh, again, they need to be removed safely because is it better to leave two small little potholes of amalgam rather than remove them safely? I would say, yeah, if they don't know how to take them out safely, you need to get someone who can or just leave those two little 
amalgams there. I think we should eliminate all sources of toxicity. So most of my patients understand, hey, the older this gets, the amalgams actually go through, and this is something I've studied in dental school, percolation. What is percolation? It's literally, it looks pockmarked, and that's from the mercury coming out. Um, the other thing is amalgams block x-rays from detecting decay. Mm. Dentists look at these things and go, oh, it looks okay. I can't see anything on the x-ray. And then you take this thing out and literally under the tooth is black with potholes of decay that were blocked by the metal filling and the x-ray not being able to read behind it. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, how do you image or how do you do the proper imaging for the mouth so that you can identify all these pieces? Uh, 3D is where it's at right now. And uh, it's funny because I'm building a new flagship office on Fifth Avenue in New York City, um, a magnificent space facing Central Park with trees wow. everywhere. You don't even know you're in New York. I'm very excited about it. I'm even more excited that I got such a great deal. <laughs> no kidding. Now's the New time York to get it, right? <laughs> and I was like, this opportunity like real estate play. And now like real estate is booming again. Everything's open. And you know, this whole thing is passing while the major real estate magnets, you know, just bought a property like crazy from people wow. who were panicking and things like that. So in this new office, I'm not even putting conventional x-ray machines in, you know, the conventional, like the thing on the arm and the cone that goes over here. We're not even using that. We're using a handheld thing for emergency purposes, but 3D cone beam, which um, you and I have spoken about, Nick, before we were talking about, and 3D cone beam is where it's at. Why? Uh, because 3D is far better than 2D. And uh, 2D is a flat image. So when you look at an x-ray, you have no... You know, it'll look like you can't see half of what's there. Like, for example, not just amalgams and being able to see 3D underneath. Uh, 3D is critical for looking at root canals, mm -hmm. you know, and being able to see cavitations around root canals. 3D is critical for seeing into the jaw and being able to see these necrotic areas, these holes in the jaw, which we call cavitations. By the way, cavitations uh, are a term that was coined by an orthopedic surgeon in 1931 uh, because he was trying to come up with a word for a hole in the jaw because a mm -hmm. cavity was a hole in the tooth. So he's like, well, that's a cavity. <laughs> this is a cavitation. And so he came up with a new word and uh, we actually still use it. It's called jaw osteonecrosis or J-O-N or cavitational osteonecrosis. Now, the colloquial term people use or you hear biologic dentists throwing around is, oh, they got a cavitation. What is a cavitation? It's a necrotic area of dead bone that is a virtual Petri dish for everything from uh, parasites, mold, candida, lime spirochetes, uh, metals, uh, uh, candida, you name it. And uh, interesting that lime spirochetes are really opportunistic pathogens and they look for places to hide and one of the areas are these dead areas of bone very commonly found where oh. third molars were extracted so most dentists taking regular x-rays uh, never see these things you can't mm. because you have cortical bone on the outside 
So it's like there's cortical bone where my hand is and cortical bone on the inside and where my head is, is where the cavitation uh, hmm. would be. So you don't see them. And when you don't see them, you don't diagnose them. And, you know, we were never even learned about these in dental school. So how do we start to see them? Started to see them with the advance of 3D technology, which was very accurate. There were some devices that came out of Europe. Um, there's a biologic doctor, Johan Lecter. He invented this device called Cavatau, and it was like a kind of almost like a sonic uh, device to find these dead areas or these demineralized areas. But I found that it was a little problematic. He's invented a new device to follow up with this. It does not have FDA approval, but I still believe the gold standard is a 3D company. They're easy to get. These machines are readily available now. There's very, very low exposure uh, to the radiation of a dental x-ray. Um, these are digitally reconstructed. They're so low exposure that we don't even have to do have a door wow. in front of the patient. When we used to take x-rays, when I came out of dental school, the, the machines were so unsophisticated that you had a lead line. The entire room had to be lead lined. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Department of Health would come and try to shine the, the camera toward the wall. And a guy would be standing behind the wall to see if the x-ray went through. That's how, sh how much exposure was. So digital x-rays have reduced radiation exposure by 90%. Wow. And these now, uh, these digital cone beam, it's computerized cone beam computerized tomography, CBCTs. And I have a new device from Germany, which is phenomenal. It reads the airway and color codes. And we see things that we could never see on conventional 2D x-rays. So we use it routinely and we're able to you know, this data goes on a disk. We're able to have that for three years or more, and we don't have to expose to our patients to uh, ongoing uh, x-rays uh, that are, you know, everyone should understand all radiation is cumulative in the body, you know, and there's ways we give patients uh, thyroid protection, and we use uh, thyroid drops, uh, that are really good with Irish moss and kelp and all this other stuff. We have a great concoction that we always uh, give to our patients if we have a need uh, to take any kind of radiographic image. Mm -hmm. Are, are so, all sorry? Um, are all dentists equipped to read these cone beam extra, um, scans? That's the magic question, Sonia. <laughs> That's why I'm starting the Biologic Institute this year. Yeah. Because at my age, it's really about mentoring, about building the next generation. Now, I have great dentists in my group here that are in their 30s. Some of them I've mentored for five years, others three years. I have another prosthodontist, an amazing, talented young dentist who is coming up from Washington, D.C. to join our group. Um, there's not enough training. Most of them do not know how to read cone beams. So cone beams were introduced, very interesting. They were introduced to conventional dentistry as a device that you use to see if someone is missing a tooth. Yes, you can see some, you know, really gross infections, but if they're missing a tooth, uh, you see if there's enough bone for an implant, how close the sinus is, where the lower mandibular nerve is. And it's kind of like the thingamajig you use to check and see if there's room to shove a metal implant in. And uh, we're going to talk about metal implants. Those are history in the biologic world. 
metal type metal implants, also known as titanium implants. These cylindrical screws that are being put in the jar are actually, we are knowing, originally we thought they were great because bone kind of grows around it really fast. And, uh, and now we're seeing that that's really an inflammatory response and then it goes the other way. Patients get this condition called implantitis and peri-implantitis, and, uh, an inflammation of the implant around the neck of the tooth where the gum is and they start to lose bone. And you can actually see the body saying, get me out of here. <laughs> wow. And uh, so we've, we've measured inflammation around metal implants. And yeah, the body, this is a big issue because metal implants are uh, 100% of metal implants were found to cause the production of endotoxins, which are bacteria wow. and bacterial blood products. So you have endotoxin production uh, universally from implants. I had another patient come in, he had an implant placed on the meridian, the acupuncture meridian. Uh, very interesting how our teeth are like circuit breakers for every organ system mm -hmm. in our body. But he had an implant placed on the uh, colon, uh, the first molar, which is the meridian for the large intestine and the lungs. Mm -hmm. And I had two cases, very interesting. It was the same summer. And one was a chiropractor from South Carolina who came up to me and he had been complaining about this metal implant and he felt that it didn't feel right. He went to three dentists, uh, the oral surgeon who put the implant in and two others who said, no, they don't see anything. They don't see anything. They don't see anything. I did a cone beam and there was a huge amount of inflammation around it. He was diagnosed with colon cancer, by the way. Oh. And so I Okay, he came up and I said, this implant should come out immediately. And I took the implant out and I always send any metal I remove from the mouth, I sent out to be analyzed. This implant came back. I thought they were all going to be titanium. The problem is there's hundreds of implant companies and there's all these um, generic implants and they don't use pure titanium even. This one had nickel another carcinogen. It had barium. It had uh, one third, 30% of it was barium, which is, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a radioactive isotope, you know, barium mm -hmm. in the implant. I think they put barium with the metal to make it shine more, you know, you know, on the x-ray, but this guy had uh, literally this toxic thing uh, sitting in his jaw. We took it out we disinfected the bone, we grafted the area, let it heal, and all of his cancer markers went down. Everything went down. The body, so you know, as naturopaths, our bodies are amazing. We have this amazing ability to self-regulate and heal, this divine ability, right? This life force that gives us this divine gift of, self, of being able to self-regulate and heal if we eliminate the three Ts, toxicity, trauma, and bad thoughts, thought patterns, mm -hmm. uh, stinking thinking, you know, and I, <laughs> treat people, <laughs> I treat people all the time mm -hmm. and they're sitting in the chair and they don't believe they're going to, you know, they've been sick for years, Lyme disease, blah, 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 and they're not on board with believing, you know, and, and you know, Bruce Lipton wrote the book, the biology of belief, what you believe changes your DNA. Mm -hmm. It's proven that what you think up here, can manifest 
you know. So that's why I said, you know, like, this is killing me. You know, no, mm-hmm. it's not. <laughs> it's aggravating me, but it's not killing Basically, me. Yeah. So going, going back to dental procedures, we've got implants can be a problem. Uh, metal extractions, implants can be a problem. Metal so implants. Yeah. So what's the option? Your ceramic implants. So what do we do? Yeah. We don't go to metal yeah. is history. Um, yeah. where, where, where we've completely shifted gears, mm-hmm. except in very rare cases from using any metal, any shape or form, uh, we will use zirconia implants. And even with zirconia, there are different grades of zirconia. So really, you know, when somebody goes, oh, I, know, I got an implant for $1,000. I got an implant for $2,000. You know, there's really different cost um, variations because of the quality of the product. And there are products that are off, off what do they call it, off-market or black, mm-hmm. black market products that um, these manufacturers make, you know, for profiteering. And they undercut the conventional, properly made zirconia implant with a crappy one. And the crappy one actually doesn't integrate as well because the zirconia is not as pure and it's not milled as precisely and those kinds of things. But ceramic is much more biologic. By the way, metal implants, there was a study in Germany. I read this a year before, 2019. The study that came out that your implants act as an antenna for 5G with your cell phone. (laughs) They heat up in the jaw too. So it's so... Yeah, I mean, we know, uh, you know, so you, you have these things. I mean, we could, I could throw out three big kind of like, oops, like we shouldn't have done that. It's like there are dentists taking out mercury unsafely, and then they're putting in composite resin, tooth colored filling material. Oh, it looks so much better. Well, their most conventional composite resin is Bisphenol A, BPA, glycinol methacrylate, bis GMA resin. So you do not, you want a BPA free composite. So you want to use BPA free composite, which has finally come on the market and is much more readily available. But the regular tooth colored fillings are loaded with bisphenols, which are endocrine disruptors and are linked to cervical cancer and prostate cancer and breast cancer. Um, And that's, uh, that's BPA. Just look up dangers of BPA. And, you know, it's not talked about. This was another dirty secret in dentistry. We were using BPAs in the mouth and there are studies that try to say, no, 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 it's okay. But there's so many other studies that are emerging. There was a study on over 400 children with BPA containing sealants that, was correlated to hyperactivity disorder in children. Hmm. So you have BPAs uh, causing hyperactivity uh, and being linked to hyperactivity in children. You have BPAs along with a lot of other hazards. And again, when you chew, when you grind, when you drink hot things, these will wear and wear and wear. So amalgam or BPA. Then you have uh, root canal or metal implant. Right, you have root canals, major source of inflammation and endotoxin production, and then you have oh, let's put in a metal implant, and so you go from the pot to the frying pan, just like dentists in the in the eighteen hundreds went from lead to mercury fillings. So you you really have to be knowledgeable, which is why I love you, I love doing this body, which is why I'm always excited to do these types of programs, 
because there's so much that people can learn from and dentists themselves need to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. And I, I never put any biologic dentist down because I appreciate their, in their heart, they want to be conscious and, and they have good intentions in want in wanting to do bio use biocompatible materials and take a more biologic approach to treat, treating the patient. What's lacking is that most of these dentists are um, not trained. They're not trained. They haven't been to an institute. They join a club like the IOMT. They start putting on their website. They're accredited by the IOMT and they do this and they, they haven't had the training. So uh, I am hoping and I'm going on record here that by the end of this year, we will have a biologic institute for biologic, an institute for biologic dentistry established to train dentists. That's not in some dentist's office who's doing courses on the side, but it's bringing the best biologic minds together from the United States, Canada, anywhere else uh, in, in Europe, but we need to come together and we need to do this for the betterment of everyone that everyone can be trained. Because there's, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of this, and this happened with cosmetic dentistry in the 19, late 1980s, cosmetic dentistry was introduced in mid eighties and every dentist wanted to be a cosmetic dentist because now they were in the beauty business mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, they never got, you know, hugged and kissed when they did gum surgery or <laughs> filling or anything of like course that. Not. You, give, you give a beautiful smile. And it's like they hugged you and they kissed you. People were, you know, I would have crying, you know, like, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to find my husband now. <laughs> I, <love it. laughs> I did a smile makeover on Dr. Oz. It had the highest ratings of any show he ever had. Wow. Uh, and I got 800 calls to my office. <laughs> you can still find it if you look up. Smile Makeover, Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Jerry Curatola, Smile Makeover. Uh, it's still on the, it's still on his website and everything else. Yeah. The smile, the mouth, it was the mouth makeover, mouth makeover. Then wow. this woman came on, her teeth were a mess. She had her first root canal at eight years old or nine years old. Oh. And she was just destroyed. And fixing her mouth not only made her healthier, but we gave her a beautiful smile. And that beautiful smile people resonated with you know it's so it's the center of your self-image you know you smile Mm -hmm. there's so much that's expressed you know right to a spiritual level what just goes to show where our attention is too right it's like it's not on the the whole body the mouth body connection it's really like can can we look good like let's (laughs) let's get that sorted out first and then let's deal with the other stuff well the number one thing for for toothpaste which we should talk about toothpaste definitely let's go there let's go there for, for toothpaste is Fresh breath, yeah. right? And white teeth. White teeth. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. Fresh breath, white teeth. <laughs> like healthy. Okay. Yeah, we could throw that. In. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. is there a natural solution that's non toxic for whitening your teeth? Is that 20, 20 years of work on this? 20 years. I then, when I came out of Harvard Medical School's program at Complementary and Alternative Medicine with this guy, Dr. David Eisenberg, late. 1990s, uh, 96, 97, I was like, oh my God, toothpaste was invented by soap makers a hundred years ago. And what actually happened in 1998, patients were coming in with their toothpaste and on the back over here, 
It said, poison warning, if swallowed, more than a pea-sized, keep out of reach of children. Mm -hmm. And if more than a pea-sized amount is swallowed, call poison control right away. And I had a couple of young mothers come in and say, what the heck? Why is toothpaste have a poison warning? Well, there was a major manufacturer of toothpaste in the late 1980s, took the FDA 10 years to get a poison warning on fluoride toothpaste. There's enough fluoride in this size of tube of toothpaste to be fatal to two children under five. So there was a product called Crest Sparkle, came out in the late 80s. It was fluorescent blue. It had sparkles in it. And it tasted I'm sure I used that one. <laughs> yeah, Back did. in the day. And it yeah. tasted like bubble gum. Mm -hmm. It tasted like bubble gum. So kids started, you know, there's a, I have a picture in my lectures of a, of a girl like eating the toothpaste. Wow. You know, and her mother's like, it's toothpaste. She's putting it inside her body. It's in her mouth. So more than this, I'd have to call poison control. But I decided to take a little different approach with prebiotics, vitamin K, C, D, E, coenzyme Q10, and minerals. So basically what I did is I tried to put a nutritional formulation that supported and helped to rebalance the microbiome, um, which I had been studying uh, from 2002. So I started this as there was a study from Japan that showed that disease gums, which were biopsied, were deficient in two antioxidants necessary for proper cell function. One of them uh, was vitamin C, is like the, the, and the other one that's ubiquitous is coenzyme Q10, which isn't a vitamin, it's a cofactor in the Krebs cycle for making ATP. So the more the metabolic need, the more the need for CoQ10. CoQ10 was pretty unknown at the time when I was looking at it. And I had a classmate of mine, uh, Dr. David Chuck, who was with me uh, in the biologic program we did the holistic health and holistic nutrition program in the late, uh, in 1983, that was, um, we both collaborated and said, you know, we, we got to stop the insanity. Uh, we also incorporated uh, seven homeopathic cell salts. Hmm. And then the FDA came in recently and we're looking at ways to bring the homeopathics back in. That, hmm. But the FDA was saying that we couldn't say that like, for example, calcarea florica, as you guys may know, stimulates enamel metabolism and bone harmony, mm -hmm. you know, but in its chemical form of calcium fluoride, it's toxic. It's mm -hmm. a halide chemical. And there's, a, you know, there's enough sodium fluoride in this to kill two children under five. So I started this as a nutritional product. When I started looking at the, uh, the human microbiome project was launched by the NIH in 2002. And it was a you know, $100 million, $142 million project. And money went to the Bozeman campus of the University of Montana and all these places. And that's where a lot of the oral microbiome research started emerging from. I was at NYU and I was like, wow, this is amazing. The same bacteria that cause tooth decay and gum disease are benign and beneficial in a balanced environment. Then I, you know, so, and then I, I was like, wow, um, 
these bacteria are actually an intelligent semi-permeable membrane that transports oxygen to the gums. And it takes ionic minerals from saliva to heal your teeth. You don't need poison fluoride. <laughs> Anybody thinks they need poison fluoride, go to one of the best consumer advocacy websites called fluoridealert.org. Just go to fluoridealert.org and, and read. They have every scientific study from around the world. By the way, there's over 50 studies on drinking fluoridated water, lowering IQ in children. Okay, that it, that it, it actually calcifies your pineal gland. It's like the hypothyroidism, kidney cancer, kidney disease. I mean, it is not supposed to be ingested chemical fluoride. There's naturally occurring fluoride. Yes, there's naturally occurring fluoride. Yes, our body uses some fluoride, but the amount of fluoride that we've been exposed to, and most of it is garbage. So for example, the fluoride that we put in our water supply, at least in New, in New York City, which we pay about 9 million a year for, is a toxic waste product called hydrofluorosilicic acid. And hydrofluorosilicic acid is a byproduct of aluminum manufacturing, uh, fertilizer manufacturing, and uh, nuclear fission technology. So it's like the U.S. government, Alcoa, and Monsanto, they are pumping out this garbage and they have no place to put it. They tried to put it in drums, put it in the ground. They're like, oh, well, it has a derivative of fluoride because it's hydrofluora silicic. Um, you have to wear hazmat suits to dump this stuff in the water. In the beautiful water we in New York used to get from the Catskill Mountains, we're dumping this stuff under the guise of preventative dentistry. And here's the newsflash. The newsflash is that there are fluoridated communities with higher rates of decay than non-fluoridated communities. Calgary, non-fluoridated. New Hampshire, per capita, lowest rates of decay in the United States, and there's no fluoride. Mm. So this idea and the brainwashing of dentists and dental hygienists in school coming out saying, you've got to have fluoride, you've got to have fluoride, is insane and simply idiotic mm. because the science has proven the opposite. We have an epidemic of dental decay. We need to be talking a lot more about nutrition and a lot less about chemical crap. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I deal with this all, all the time because I, I even have dental hygienists who come in and work for me and they're like, you don't use fluoride? Everybody needs <laughs> fluoride. Like they're born with this toxic chemical in their body. <laughs> so, wow. so I know you guys, this is like just you know, preaching to the choir here. <laughs> well, it's, it's good for people to hear because these questions show up, you know, because right. they're still going to the dentist and they're asking them about fluoride. And even when you start yes. educating, they start saying no. And so um, now tell them, make yeah. peace with their microbes. Yes. Make peace with their microbes. They're keeping them alive. That's my mm -hmm. mantra. My mm -hmm. mantra is, it's time to the doctors to get out of the chemical mm -hmm. business. I was on the Martha Stewart show and Martha said, Oh, I know you're doing this research on oral care. She loves dentists. <laughs> and uh, you're doing this research on oral care. And I said, yes, Martha, it's time. You know, so toothpaste was invented by soap makers a hundred years ago. You know, and my mother said, if I said something bad when I was a kid, she'd stick soap in my mouth, but I was brushing with it already. <laughs> and then they literally <laughs> made it. So she left and I said, then we put bug killers in in the 1980s and, yeah. and we put this fluoride chemical thinking like we're going to make teeth stronger and, 
Because fluoride, the studies show, and this was the deceptive thing, is that when you do introduce fluoride, it actually, fluor, fluorine, which is the real element, is the most highly reactive, non-radioactive element on the periodic table. So when you introduce it, it's so highly negatively charged that when you introduce it, our teeth and bones are made of something called hydroxyapatite. Mm-hmm. And it has some flexibility. And when you introduce fluorine, it knocks out the hydroxy and it becomes fluorapatite, a whole new mineral. What's oh. the consistency of fluorapatite? The consistency of fluorapatite is like glass. It is very high hardness, but if I banged it on this table, it would break in a million pieces. Oh. So it's like glass. The people's teeth and bones be turned to different types of glass. And it is very, yeah, I mean, we have an epidemic of osteoporosis, mm-hmm. many theories linking it to, uh, to fluoridation. Uh, skeletal fluorosis is a major problem because bones and hips and shoulders and knees are, are much weaker from years and years of skeletal fluorosis. In the 1980s, about 30 years after uh, the massive introduction of fluoride, um, the orthopedists started doing studies on hip fracture rates and they found, they, they thought, Oh, hip fracture rates must be going down. They found the opposite. And it was published in the new England journal of medicine, Journal of the American medical Association. There was an exponential increase in hip fracture rates corresponding with the level of fluoridation. So wow. all of this information, it continues to be, but it's a very convenient way. And I'm not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I can only, I mean, New York city is buying this crap. And it's a, it's a, it's a hazardous waste product mm-hmm. from three different types of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're buying this to throw this in the water under the guys. Now they, they've come out and said, um, yeah, drinking fluoridated water doesn't really do anything to reduce decay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to brush it on and put it in toothpaste, mm-hmm. but drinking it doesn't work. And only the smooth surfaces of your teeth don't really get decay. You get decay in the nooks and crannies and between the teeth and, and that kind of thing. That sounds like the you magical got, mercury. What's that? That sounds like yeah, the magical the mercury. mercury. <laughs> I'd love to do that. I, I actually, I published a piece once uh, called Dental Myths. Right, <laughs> Dental yeah, Myths. The mercury's magically locked in, you know. Mm-hmm. Fluoride makes your teeth healthier and, you know, so, so how do you reverse it that? It makes it brittle. Yeah. How and do you? So, oh, sorry. Can, yeah, can you can you reverse that? So I'm just thinking with like generational ah. toxicity. So if pregnant mom has mercury, we know there's been studies done that we've seen it in infant brains. If pregnant mom has lead, we know it's in the bones. So most likely child will too. Child passed that right exactly. Yeah. So now pregnant mom is using fluoride. How is that going to impact child? And is it is are there things that we can do now to kick these halogens out or like yes, strengthen yes. our bones? Pregnant mothers should not be using fluoride. You know, uh, they were they. I remember they they used to make when my oldest daughter was born. My wife was given vitamins by her obstetrician that were neonatal neonatal vitamins uh, with fluoride in them, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. do not. Get, well, get like maternal, I, I just want to speak to the uh, OBGYNs out there, and I want to tell them that there is a condition known as pregnancy gingivitis, um, and it's from the it's a natural condition from hormone changes in the body. So, if you are a pregnant woman, 
you need to at least get maintenance of your gums once a trimester to control the pregnancy gingivitis, gingivitis, inflammation of the gums linked to preeclampsia and premature low weight babies. So, uh, there's a 700% higher incidence of uh, premature low weight babies, most often born with developmental issues like cerebral palsy and other things, high, high indication of that. So OBs should be sending their pregnant women for proper care with biologic dentists. They should not be getting any chemicals. I would definitely not, uh, you know, until the second or third trimester do anything invasive or anything, you know, any major restorative treatment. I think that unless there is risk of decay and an abscess or something like that, that should be uh, probably uh, because of, you know, the need for dental anesthetic or anything like that, that should be postponed. But, but a dental cleaning, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other question you asked was getting fluoride out of the body. How do you get it out of the body? There are ways, like fulvic acid is good for that. Um, there are herbal ways of getting, starting to leach. Uh, but again, it's just like getting mercury out of the body. So getting fluoride out of the body is really interesting. Getting fluoride out of the body is like getting mercury out of the body. By the way, when people do uh, heavy metal tests, and they want to see, you know, what they have. Often mercury doesn't come up high, but you'll see lead come up high more than mercury. But I will tell you that if mercury comes up high, uh, I mean, if lead comes up high, you have high mercury as well. Um, they are kissing cousins in the heavy metal world. So um, what else did you guys, you had one other thing, uh, any other questions? Yeah, I, I did want to touch a little bit and we might just have to wait for, for another time because you've got so much to teach and this is incredibly important information. Mm -hmm. um, but if you could just touch a little bit on structural anomalies. I know we, we, had, we sent you a patient, uh, there's cardiovascular issues going on and it turned out like he wasn't breathing properly. Not because, breathing. And he had yeah, a heart attack. So tell, he tell us about that. He had his dentist. Yeah. This patient had a heart attack in his dentist chair. <laughs> and the dentist was like, do you still want to go ahead with the visit? And he goes, well, I don't want to come back. But he goes, I think you should go. This, like, this was like a Seinfeld episode. No kidding. <clears throat> so, and thank you very much, Nick. You referred yeah. him to me and uh, he's become a friend of the practice and awesome. he is really, really improving health-wise. Awesome. Uh, and so the big structural anomaly affecting a billion people on the planet is something called airway disease or obstructive sleep apnea is a manifestation of airway disease. So where does obstructive sleep apnea come from? Well, misshapen palates, 90% of obstructive sleep apnea comes from what's going on in your mouth. People have high vaulted palates. They may have been a thumb sucker. They weren't breastfed. Now we know breastfeeding helps with proper palatal development. So if you don't breastfeed, you give a kid a nipple, a baby a nipple, um, they are not going to have the same shape palate from latching onto a mother's breast. Uh, and you have um, these high vaulted palates. So we breathe through this triangle, right? And if you have a high vaulted palate, you can't breathe through your nose as well. 
So you have wow. more resistance breathing up here. Where do we make nitric oxide, which is good for your heart? Where do we um, get proper filtration of the air? Um, into, especially days where a lot of stuff is flying around in the air, including mm-hmm. respiratory viruses like COVID-19. Um, you have all kinds of crap flying around in the air. So um, a high vaulted pallet is making you a sitting duck uh, for uh, having airway, upper airway resistance. Um, the second thing is tongue tie, which is dentists don't even look at the tongue. Mm. I mean, it's crazy, but tongue tie is where the string underneath your tongue, called the lingual frena, holds the tongue down. Yeah. And there's a high percentage of people with tongue tie. If you open as wide as you can and try and make your tongue touch the roof of your mouth, you should do it without having to close. Stay open as wide, lift your tongue, touch. If you feel like you're being held down, mm-hmm. and I saw you doing it, Nick, I can diagnose I, you right I, I know, I, I know I've got tongue tie. <laughs> I want to come see you, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I, uh, I actually have, I could do a whole program on airway health. Oh, let's let's do that. Airway health is so critically important. Mm -hmm. And and I've been on the doctor's show and I've been on, uh, you know, AOL health and Huffington post and uh, MSN.com and all these different shows. And uh, they're all, I, I was talking about the fact that the biggest undiagnosed problem in the dental world right now is this functional problem of not breathing. Mm-hmm. And so we think, oh, if you snore, you know, that's sleep apnea. No, that's not sleep apnea. That it may be a sign. But a lot of people, including many women who have sleep apnea, don't make any noise at all. They just stop breathing in the middle of the night. So we have a disposable kit called the WatchPad device. And it is amazing at helping identify if you have mild, moderate, or severe sleep apnea. So we do virtual consults. That's uh, what we do uh, with a lot of patients. We have them get a cone beam locally, wherever they are. We're happy to read it for them. And we send a home sleep study. We FedEx them a home sleep study kit. And they do it. It's a little disposable wristwatch. blood oximeter, uh, pulse oximeter, and heart rate and blood oxygen levels with a little little thing that tapes on the finger. And then there's a little device right on the breastplate over here. Mm. And we get our respiratory therapist to download the information, read it, and we're able to see if you're mild, moderate, or severe sleep apnea. Wow. Huge problem because um, I had a patient from Pennsylvania who was had just gotten out of the Marines, and he gets his physical and he's in like ripped and perfect shape. And he has hypertension, perfectly healthy guy, each grade hypertension. And the functional medicine doctor in Pennsylvania called me and said, would you see him? And I said, sure. I said, he has nothing else going on. Big connection for uh, sleep apnea is uh, hypertension. Yeah. Uh, bedwetting in children. ADD and children, ADHD and children, um, and all signs of sleep apnea. And many times the child is tongue tied. I just uh, did a virtual consult with a patient in Paris, France, and her son is suffering. He's seven years old, and there's bedwetting, ADHD, and all these problems with his teeth, with decay and other things. And I'm like breathing through his mouth at night, maybe stopping breathing, 
And those are signs. So children, babies can have this. So we release tongue tie now in infancy. So that is the big uh, metabolic problem going on structurally in the mouth is, so what do we do? Uh, we can probably finish with that. What, what do we do? Um, we do a definitive diagnosis. We do a home sleep study. We also use a cone beam because we can see the shape of the airway. And this would be an interesting program. I'd love to get my airway health expert on with you, uh, Dr. Dean Rayo. He's the national advisor in airway health. He's one of our team here in New York. He um, actually uh, looks at the cone beam. You can see the structural things of where the tongue is. So the tongue is not this flat thing that flaps around like the tongue of a dog. The human tongue is this big ovoid organ called, uh, it's like a 10 foot tiger and many times. And when you have orthodontics and you may have had teeth pulled to make room for the teeth to come together and be all nice and pretty, well, what that orthodontist is doing is condemning you to obstructive sleep apnea because they're shrinking the jaw. So when they shrink the jaw, tongue tie, high vaulted palate, you probably are going to be condemned to having obstructive sleep apnea. So the first thing that we do is we get a definitive diagnosis. Then we have a device which we use that can actually expand the arch, make the room, people's smiles get prettier. Uh, they, they don't get TMJ anymore, all this pain in the jaw. We didn't even talk about that. We could talk about that. That's a symptomatic problem from these structural imbalances. So easy for an airway health dentist to correct uh, non-surgically with the exception of maybe using a laser to release tongue tie, actually remodeling the jaw is non-surgical to make room for that 10 foot tiger that was in a three foot cage to go back to a 10 foot cage. And that's, that's the story there. I can give you a lot more information and a subsequent program, you guys. I definitely yeah, and your children it. should be checked for this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone should. Yeah, absolutely. So in closing, I have a question for you. It's not dentist related, um, <laughs> but more of a uh, big picture related. So if today was your last day on earth, what imprint would you like to leave for the next generation? Two things. I'd like to bring the wall down between medicine and dentistry. Uh, It was illogical and we need to work as a team with the patient being a member of that team. Mm -hmm. The medical medical support, the dental support, the wellness support, the patient, it's a team. You know, it takes a village uh, to use a trite term. Uh, That's the first thing. And the second thing, Sonia, is I want to change what people are sticking in their mouth to clean their teeth because cleaning their teeth is not what's needed. Believe it or not, when you rebalance the oral microbiome, it's a thin, clear, odorless film. You wake up, you don't even feel like you have to brush because your microbiome is healthy. So I guess I would sum that up as I want everybody to make peace with their microbes in their mouth and in the rest of their body as well. I love that. Thank you. 
Jerry, you're such a wealth of information and, and it was right. We, we nailed it. You're a beautiful man. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you, you care so deeply for the people that you work with and, edu- and, and we're just so blessed that you took time to, to share with our audience. And um, I was thinking like, do you send me the laser and I can just like chop that uh, tongue tie down myself or do I? <laughs> we'll so I, yeah, yeah, I look, I look forward we'll, to just we'll more conversations. We'll have to get you to New York sometime when they, uh, when the, uh, open up those borders. world ends. That's right. (laughs) Well, we'll come see you on Fifth Avenue. I want to see this new office. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to invite you guys. You are, God, be more than happy to have you beautiful people, you movie star family, (laughs) uh, come to New York for a visit. Oh, that'd be amazing. We look forward to it. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thank you so much. Blessings. Same here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.